Today's verse comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I just love the snow outside. I mean, you all have like a nice view, I guess, but I get like the out the doors view. I don't want to scare you, but it looks nice. Uh, and it, it reminds me of, you know, uh, one thing I just love about this time of year is all the traditions. I don't know what traditions your family has, but, uh, you know, just, just all these different Christmas traditions, the this, this season of preparing the, the lights, the food, the gathering with friends and family. There, now you're getting a better view. Uh, <laughs> the gathering with friends and family. And it's just like, I don't know, it's one of my favorite times of this time of year is we have this, this whole season where we like separate uh, from kind of the normal everyday parts of, of life, and it takes us a whole month to kind of prepare for Christmas, and we get to do all these special things. And, and growing up, when I was little, my favorite Christmas tradition, my favorite one out of everything was um, on Christmas Eve, my family would all pile into our minivan, uh, and before that, we would all pile into the station wagon, if you know what a station wagon is. Uh, and we would drive around our neighborhood, and we would see all of these uh, Christmas lights that everyone put up on their house. And my, my family put up lights, too, and we had this, like, manger scene in the front yard with lights and lights on the house. But, but it was so fun to drive around and see all the Christmas lights. And I grew up in a suburb, so there was a lot of houses close by. Uh, and we could drive, and there were certain streets that they, like, went all out, you know, the whole road. And and a lot of them were these roads where it was this long road and they had a cul-de-sac in the end and then you kind of drove back out and it was like a Christmas village thing uh, going on. And I just loved it as a kid so much that with our own kids, uh, we've kind of carried on this tradition as a family that on Christmas Eve, we all pile uh, into our car and we drive around and we try to see, okay, what parts of Arnold has the best lights? And, and um, we, When I was young, I'll, I'll admit to you, or I'll confess to you, how's this? We, we did it uh, with a little bit of like a, a judgmental like little part. We like rated the houses. Uh, like how they were so like, oh, we'll give that one a seven. You know, and then we moved on to the next. Oh, we'll give, and ours always got a 10, of course, because we, we knew how much time and energy it took. Uh, so I've taken that part of the tradition out. But we do the other part <laughs> where we drive around and, uh, and, and just enjoy it. Um, and I think it's easy in all these traditions and all this time, it's easy to make Advent far busier than the rest of the year. 
It's, it's easy to enter into the season, even good things, even things you enjoy, things that you cherish, to, to just pile one on top of the other and to have it be so busy that, that you really kind of forget what the point of all of it is. You're rushing around, and it's not about the lights, it's not about the parties, it's, it's not even about the presents, I know, controversial. It's not even about the presents, it's, it's not even about, despite what like all the Hallmark movies will tell you, it's not even about time with friends and family. That's not the point, that's not the reason for, for this entire season that we are in, right? The, the point is that it's about a baby laid in a manger in Bethlehem. And if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the whole point of everything that's going on. It's, it's, a, it's not about the lights. It's, it's not about all that. It's about Jesus, right? It's, it's about wonderful counselor. It's about mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, about Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, the light of the world. So in this sermon series, during this time of Advent, as we lead up to Christmas, we're, we're trying to intentionally, as a church, step back from maybe some of that busyness and, and lean into refocusing ourselves on Jesus, refocusing ourselves on, on why we are celebrating at all and, and entering into this season not, not as busy people who are rushing around, but as people who are in a stage of preparation for this baby that is to come and in this stage of anticipation and in waiting and being intentional about, about saying no to things like consumerism and things like greed and things like, like rushing around like chickens with their heads cut off and, and just being so busy and all the stuff and saying yes to, to focusing on Christ. So part of how we're doing that in this series is uh, I'm taking a different uh, kind of key person, a, a key uh, element of what's going on in the Christmas story and in, in the Gospels, and we're going to focus on different ones each week. So the first week, we looked at prophets and what the prophets in the Old Testament said, looking forward about this Savior that was to come. And last week, we focused in on Mary, uh, and that was in the Gospel of Luke. And this week, we're going to focus in on Joseph. And this is Matthew uh, chapter 1, which was read for you earlier. Uh, before we dive right into the text, a little bit of background information on what we know about Joseph. I think it's always helpful to look at. Uh, if we're going to kind of look through this, this event through the lens of, of Joseph's world, then, then who is this person? You know, we, we know him. There's churches named after him. He's He's famous. Um, but what do we really know from Scripture? What can we tell? So the first thing, uh, the first thing is that we know that Joseph is from Nazareth in Galilee. All right, so Joseph is from Nazareth. It's this generally poor, this small uh, region of the world, uh, this region that is really kind of outside of um, mainstream culture, if you will. And, and we know of it as the church, but we know of it because Jesus is from there. Like, we don't know of it because it's significant or because it's really important or because it was this, like, cultural center of the ancient world. We know of it because we know of Jesus. But really, it's this small place. It's this tiny place, and, and we know Joseph is from there. And we know that this place, Nazareth, is commonly a poor area of their world. 
And that actually makes sense because that brings us into the second thing. The second thing we know is that Joseph was probably on the more poor side of society. He didn't have much money. And we can see this right in Scripture. Actually, in Luke chapter 2, um, Luke chapter 2, 22 through 24, we get this, this small story that's entered in. And Mary and Joseph are bringing the newborn Jesus to the temple. And the reason they're bringing him there is for this purification rite that happened. And it was, it was told in the Old Testament law in Leviticus that they were to bring this newborn baby boy to the temple and make a sacrifice on his behalf. So this goes back to the Israelites' time in Egypt, uh, where the firstborn uh, sons of Egypt were uh, part of you know, the, the final plague that led uh, to the Israelites being freed. Um, and yet, how it's worded in the Old Testament is that the Israelite firstborn sons were kind of not free of that. The way that they got around not uh, succumbing to the same plague was through this sacrifice that had to be made at the temple. And the reason I bring this up is, is right in the law, it says that you're supposed to bring a lamb to sacrifice. So, so you bring this firstborn male of your household, uh, and you bring them, and then you bring a lamb, and the, the lamb gets sacrificed instead. And then in Leviticus, in a really interesting place, it says that if you can't afford a lamb, that you can bring two doves or two young pigeons instead. So, so there's this element right in the law that, that makes this, this exemption for people that are, are poorer, people that don't have the kind of means. They can't just bring a, a lamb. They're, they can do the same thing by bringing two young doves or, or two pigeons. And we are told in Luke chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph brought two doves. Mary and Joseph brought two doves because they didn't have the resources. So, so again, we're learning more about Joseph. We know that he's from this poor area of the world, uh, we know that he certainly, in his own family, didn't have enough money to, to bring the lamb uh, itself. He brought two doves. There's, there's no, like, right or wrong thing to bring. It's just like, if you can afford the lamb, bring the lamb. If you can't, don't. They're not, like, not a second-class offering or something like that. Uh, but we can learn a little bit about Joseph, right, that, that he uh, didn't maybe have those means. We also can learn from, from Scripture and just from studying that time period that Joseph was probably a young man. Uh, and by, by young man, I mean, don't let those, like, paintings and old pictures, like, fool you. Uh, if you look at, like, paintings of, of stuff from the Bible, it's always these guys with, like, these huge, like, majestic beards, right? And they, and they have, um, you know, really, like, kind of aged features and all this stuff. But, but chances are Joseph was probably about 18. That would have been normal for their time, that, that when it came time to... Uh, to have people get engaged, to have people be betrothed, that, that uh, the woman would have been 15, 16, somewhere in there, and, and the husband would have been about 18. So Joseph was probably a young man uh, at this point, um, and that would have been pretty typical. We also know pretty clearly from Scripture that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Again, don't gasp. <laughs> this is it's just in the Bible. Uh, it's actually, the, the reason I, I joke, I say don't gasp, but in Matthew, I, it's almost like that's how it's written. Like, in, in Luke, it goes into detail on how this is the case, but in Matthew, he just kind of says it. It's just like, yeah, because the Holy Spirit, you know, came on Mary, and it's like, this was just well known in the church. It's just well known that, that Joseph is not the biological father, 
Um, but what Joseph ends up being, and this part we miss really easily, Joseph ends up being the legal father of Jesus. There, there's a difference there, so I'll get into it a little more later, but when Joseph, and, and there's a point, when he names Jesus, that is how you adopted someone in the ancient world, in their world. That was a legal thing that he did. It was also an important thing, you know, uh, to name Jesus, but, but there's a reason that when the angel appears to Joseph, he says, and you will name him Jesus. And then when the baby is born, jo- it says Joseph named him Jesus. That is Joseph's uh, legal adoption uh, of, of this child. And, and that would go on beyond like he's going to raise him. That would be inheritance things. That would be everything. This is his son, uh, legally speaking. But it comes down to that moment. And I think that's really significant. Uh, thing number five that we know, this is Matthew 13, 55. We are told that Joseph is a carpenter. It's, it's this famous uh, scene, and the, the townspeople from Nazareth are looking at Jesus. That, Isn't this the son of the carpenter, Joseph? So that's where we get that idea that, that Joseph is a carpenter. In the same way, in Mark, uh, Jesus himself is described as a carpenter. Uh, so not only was Joseph a carpenter, but he, he raised his son in the same trade, uh, that he did, again, very common in their time, that, that he would have, uh, as his son got older, he would have taught him how to also be a carpenter. So Jesus is called a carpenter in Mark. Uh, Joseph is in Matthew. Uh, it's kind of the family business, uh, so to speak. There's always memes and jokes and everything about how much it would be worth if you had one of those chairs uh, that Jesus made. Like, like it, it, always, it goes like a little far into kind of weird theology, but but if the chair's, if Jesus is perfect, is his chair perfect? And, and then would it, would it still exist? And, and that could be like possibly, you know, it's, it's a joke. But, uh, <laughs> but it is kind of a funny concept. Like, uh, the last thing we know, and, and this, is, um, this is not directly stated in the Bible, but has been believed by the church for a number of years, and, and we can kind of get to it in a few different ways. But, but there's good reason to think that Joseph probably died young. The reason being is that Joseph is mentioned quite a bit in the stories of of Jesus' early life. Uh, Joseph is there. He's there, of course, when the baby's born. He's there when they go to Egypt. He's there. He's there certainly long enough for Jesus to be a carpenter, right? So so Joseph exists. You know, he's in the story. And then also when Jesus' ministry starts, Joseph is not mentioned ever again. And the Bible does this sometimes to kind of shift attention from one person to another. It's like, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. He's out of the picture. You know, like you get some of that in Scripture. Uh, but, but there's kind of good reason to think that, that maybe Joseph passed away. He seems to be really involved uh, early on, and, and then he's just not around anymore. Uh, so again, we don't know for sure, but it seems certainly logically consistent with the narrative that, that that's kind of going on. Uh, so with all that in mind, let's kind of jump back uh, into the Christmas story here. And, and first, a little recap. Uh, of last week. So last week we were in the Gospel of Luke. This week we're in Matthew. But Luke emphasizes uh, kind of Mary's side of what's going on, Mary's side of the story. And we're told that she's betrothed to be married to Joseph uh, when an angel appears to her. Uh, Mary said uh, that she would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and give birth to a son, and she shall name him Jesus. And then later on, Joseph is told to name him Jesus. I don't know if this is like backup plan. Or like, what's going on here? But, but the baby will be named Jesus, and Jesus means the Lord is salvation. Right? It's the same name as Joshua. 
in the Old Testament. So uh, Jesus and Joshua are the same name, and it means the Lord is salvation. And after humbly accepting this call, Mary then goes on to live for three months with her relative Elizabeth. So just kind of picture the scene. So Mary hears all this. She's, uh, she's now pregnant. She knows that this baby's coming, and she goes away and lives with Elizabeth for three months in a, in a different town, in a different area. And now in Matthew, where Matthew kind of picks up on the story, is that Mary has returned to Nazareth. Now, just think about this kind of logically here. Mary has returned. She's now three months pregnant. It appears Joseph has been out of the loop the entire time. Um, but Joseph is not out of the loop any longer. <laughs> All right. so, so she returns home. Joseph uh, sees that the one he is engaged to is now three months pregnant after being gone for three months uh, somewhere else. And Joseph has, uh, it doesn't directly say, but he comes to some pretty logical conclusions on what's going on. Right, Mary has been gone, she returns, uh, his betrothed is now pregnant, and, and a visit from an angel and an immaculate conception, they're probably not on the top of Joseph's list of, of how this situation came about. And, and that's where we actually enter into our text today. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew here. We start to see the same story, the next kind of chapter, but, but from Joseph's perspective. I'll just read it for you again. This is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary, or his, yeah, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name of Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until, he, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So the first thing that kind of stands out here is that engagements or, or betrothals, uh, as they're called in, in the Bible, it's different than in today's world. So that's the first thing we kind of have to notice. And you can actually clear, see that pretty clearly in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, we probably wouldn't use that word, right? <laughs> we would say, because Joseph, her fiancé, but, but here, Joseph, so this betrothal thing, this is already a legal uh, arrangement. It's this one-year time period where, where they're engaged. They're not married yet. They're not living together. They're, they're, 
they're separated. They're, they can't uh, kind of be in relationships with other people, but they're, but they're together. Um, and it's even like legally, it's, it's an arrangement of what's going on. The, the only way out of it is divorce. So this is not like a feeling out period where we're just like planning the wedding for, I don't know, however long. Um, they are in the first stage of marriage, and then after another year, they'll be like kind of in the next stage, and that'll be kind of a full marriage kind of thing. But, um, but they're quite connected here in this sense. So it, so it makes sense that as we keep going that Joseph is going to figure out, like, does he divorce her? What, what is his correct uh, thing to do? You know, they're already, they're already connected in this way. He can't just say, like, uh, I don't know, get out of here and, and go live somewhere else. I mean, he's... He is connected to her. He is her husband, uh, but now she's pregnant. Uh, and, and we're told in verse 19 that Joseph is a man who is faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So the only thing he can do in the law of the Old Testament is he's supposed to divorce her. That's in the law. If, if he were to continue to marry her and live on the in their kind of view of the world, it would be, um, it would be kind of an illegitimate wedding, and it would even reflect back on other weddings in the family. And they'd say, well, if, if that's how Mary and Joseph live, then their parents must not uh, you know, have a proper marriage, and then this, these people must not. It's, a, it's kind of the shame culture going on, right, where, where he can't, uh, in a way, go ahead with this. There's a reason the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, right? But, but as Joseph is looking at it, he's also a man that, that is not a harsh man. Now, legally, he also could just have this big public trial. It would normally be done at the city gates, and the whole town would gather, and he would expose her for what he believes she has done, and the, and the divorce would take place, and, and there was precedence, and there was... Uh, legal right that the townspeople, if they chose, could stone her to death. Joseph could have gone that route. He, he had even the legal right, and, and there was even this cultural expectation that this, this happened uh, in their setting. But we're told that Joseph, uh, while he also is a man who follows the law, is a man of compassion. So he doesn't rush out to do this. And, and even before the angel appears to him, Joseph is he's thinking over this decision and he decides that he wants to divorce her quietly. This is also an option he has. It, it's just the gathering of, of three or four people. Again, they would do it at the city gates and, and it would kind of be as small as possible and it would be like, okay, this is a legal thing and then they would just kind of move on with their lives and, and hopefully without this large crowd and without this large gathering, there wouldn't be... Uh, this immediate threat uh, to her life. Uh, and, and what would kind of happen in the ancient world, she probably would move somewhere else and, and move to a, a distant town where she would just kind of be this, uh, this single mom that no one knew and, and, uh, and would just kind of live out the rest of her days in, in pretty extreme poverty. But again, that's the compassionate option on Joseph's part because what is a... And a law-following man supposed to do here? He he can't uh, he can't just take her um, in his mind, and, and yet he, he he has compassion for. Her. He doesn't want to get her. Uh, he doesn't want to to cause her her life, 
right? I mean, this, so Joseph has uh, some elements to his character that even before the angel comes to him that I think we can kind of lean into and we can see what kind of man uh, this is. Now, it's interesting because in Jesus's uh, preaching, in Jesus's teaching, he often teaches against people who do the opposite of Joseph here, right? He, he talks to the scribes and he talks to the Pharisees and, in very harsh terms, and he talks to them about their legal nitpicking of the law and how that overrules their compassion and how that overrules their mercy for other people. So Joseph uh, is kind of living into this, uh, this way of life already. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then we are told that Joseph woke up. And then Joseph did what the angel of the Lord commanded. Again, that, that may seem obvious to us. But if you started reading at the beginning of the Old Testament and you got to this point, this is not an obvious response to this kind of direct intervention of God. Even amongst uh, some of the some prophets, some, some teachers, Moses himself said, said, no, God, don't choose me, and, and he rejected it over and over again. Uh, you know, Jonah, as a prophet, is told to go preach to Nineveh, and he gets up, and he runs the opposite direction, right? This is a prophet of God, right? So, so we have people over and over again that, that say, no, not me, and we're told last week in Mary's message how she just humbly accepted this call on her life. And here we have a similar story with Joseph of him receiving this news in a dream. And like he does several times through the Gospels, he gets up, he's heard from God, and then he does it. Then he does what God is calling him to do. He takes Mary as his wife. We're told that he doesn't consummate their marriage until after she has given birth to a son. And then he, meaning Joseph, gave him the name Jesus. Joseph gave Jesus his name, and, and I mentioned it earlier, but I think it's worth repeating. It matters because it means Joseph has legally now adopted Jesus as his own. That, that Joseph isn't uh, the side character in the story, that's, you know, this is, this is Mary's son and, you know, with the Holy Spirit. Now, now Joseph has, a, like, formally entered the picture. He has adopted this son. We see that relationship continue. We see Joseph do everything that a father would do. We see them even go to the temple, and Joseph brings the sacrifice, right, because this is his son. And then Joseph names him Jesus, as he is told to do by the angel. Now, all this, I think, is helpful as, as we look at Scripture, and we kind of understand these characters more, but, but the major point of everything here, this is actually not a story about Joseph. Right? This is a story about Jesus. 
This entire thing is a story about Jesus, and it's a story about, about how we understand how he entered into the world, how we understand how, how God was directly acting in all these ways, and, and God was sending these angels, and, and people were obedient, and they were listening, and, and it was a story uh, of, of Joseph and Mary, but ultimately it, it points to Christ, and it teaches us something about him. But if we just kind of step aside a little bit and we look at, and I, I think it's helpful, if we look at just Joseph, we can see that he was probably a young man that had plans for the future. Right? He, he was engaged. He had plans of what this future was going to look like. It did not uh, consist of these visits from angels. Uh, I guarantee you Joseph did not have planned out a immaculate, uh, conception. Joseph did not plan out a long trip to Bethlehem just a few days before the baby was supposed to be born, or, or the very day, the very night uh, that he was going to go there. Joseph had, had a life planned out. And again, this is, this is a young couple, right? They have all their time in front of them, and, and yet they trust God in amazing ways. There's a reason why over and over again, people of the church, people that follow Jesus, have kind of turned back to these stories and looked at these people and said, there's something special about this couple. Now, the whole point is Jesus, but, but there's something we can learn about this couple. There's something about this couple that, that doesn't turn away from God, that doesn't flee from God, that doesn't say God picks someone else, but, but humbly enters into this, uh, this situation and says, you know, your will be done in my life. And, and it's like they're traveling down this road and, and they're together and all of a sudden there's, there's this crazy turn that God has brought in front of them. And, and Mary and Joseph humbly enter into it and they faithfully follow it. And, and as I think of even ourselves, I'm like, are we there in our faith? That, that you're walking with God, that you have plans of what life is going to be like, and then there's this, this crazy turn that shows up, and, and are, can you walk that path and say, I will still trust you, God. I will still follow you, God. I don't know where this, this is not my plans. I thought I knew what life was going to be like. I, I, I grew up, I had all this stuff, and, and now I've started this process, and, and this, here this couple is engaged, they're ready for their life ahead of them, and then there's this crazy turn. And yet they humbly accept it. In, in Luke chapter 1, Verse 38, we hear Mary's reply to the angel, and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. That's about as opposite as you can get from running the opposite way. Right? That's about as far as you can get from, from saying, I'm not sure I trust you anymore, God, because I don't, see the, I don't see where this path is going. I don't see how this makes sense. I don't see what you're doing in my life, and, and I just want to, like, do my own thing. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. And likewise, Joseph is visited by this angel in a dream, and upon waking, we're told that he immediately sets off doing what God has commanded him to do. That kind of brings me back to where I started, these traditions of Christmas, these times of 
of getting together, whether it's you know, with family or, or just doing special activities that, that seem uh, special to you, you know, looking at Christmas lights, the special food, whatever it is. Um, you know, they can be great. But if we do that and we ignore what God is calling us to in our lives, then they're pretty pointless. If, if we do all this busyness of this season and then, and then we celebrate the birth of this Jesus and then when it comes to those moments in life where there's these unexpected turns, if we say, well, I, I mean, I celebrate you at Christmas, but I don't know if I want to follow you through this. I don't know if I want you to lead me through this part because, because I can't understand it myself. I can't see where it's going. I have, I have fear. I, I don't know what it's going to be. And, and yet here the angel comes to Joseph and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why? Well, logically speaking, Joseph should kind of be afraid of that. The reason to not be afraid is because God is doing something. Because God is working things out. So I'll just end with this before we pray. I do hope that you enjoy this time of year. I hope that you focus on uh, spending time with, with loved ones. I hope that you're able to do some of these special traditions that, that you've kind of done over the years and, and are very meaningful to you. But, but I ultimately hope that even in those things that you're able to, to fix your eyes on Jesus. You're able to fix your eyes on, on what God is, is doing and what God may even be calling you to do this time, that we don't get so busy with all the stuff that, that we get through the entire season and then we look back and we're like, well, that was nice, but now I'm exhausted. And now I don't even know how to go forward. And, and I've been going here and there and everywhere, and I haven't even spent time in my Bible. I haven't even spent time uh, focusing on God. I, and I haven't even spent time focusing on this one that Scripture calls a wonderful counselor, a mighty God an everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, the light of the world. <laughs>